0: But I think there's been this fear that exercise is somehow gonna be dangerous. Uh, and it's quite the contrary.
1: After that first day, when they say you have cancer,
0: there's a new person born. You know, There's this thing called new normal. I, th- I think they don't really maybe understand how much it's going to help them. Each patient and each survivor is gonna be experiencing different side effects, different experiences. The positive is that it's, it's never too late.
1: Welcome to the Reach Podcast, where you'll hear from researchers, doctors and patients themselves on how exercise, nutrition and lifestyle behaviours can reduce cancer risk and improve survivorship. I'm your host, Kieran Fairman. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Reach Podcast. We're doing well. We got two for two. I've been consistent last month with episodes. I'm going to try keep that up for the foreseeable future. Um, things have been brilliant here at ECU, uh, learning a ton from, from everyone here and we've been involved in and putting uh, grants in for some really really cool projects that hopefully you'll be able to talk to, talk about in the near future and I'll definitely keep you updated on, on our progress. Um, we're all going to be speaking at SMA, uh, Sports Medicine Australia at the end of this year which is going to be a really cool opportunity for me to kind of branch out in australia and meet some some physicians and and other clinical professionals and uh kind of address some of these topics that we're putting in grants for so i think it's going to be a really cool few months moving forward to for me that i'll i'll keep is involved with uh, but today talking to anna campbell anna is a senior lecturer at edinburgh napier university and she is also the founder of Can Rehab, and if you're in this field, if you're in exercise oncology, if you don't know Can Rehab, you should get to be very familiar with the work they do. And uh, pretty much, they're they're the gold standard in Europe, and and Anna's doing a phenomenal job of of doing this of, you know, being the leader in training professionals in exercise oncology. So what's really cool about Can Rehab is that they have different types of uh, educational courses based on whether you're a fitness professional or a health professional or even um, moving into kind of just a layperson. person uh, she's got a, a, a ton of different courses and a really cool format that I wanted to to highlight because of a lot of people listen to this show that are interested in this um, it's a phenomenal model and I can't recommend can rehab and Anna enough so if you're interested in getting trained up in this area definitely check them out and Uh, Today we were kind of talking about CAN Rehab, but we were also talking about some of the the practical aspects of working in this field in uh, particularly the initial phases when trainers go through these these certifications. Um, CAN Rehab does a pretty good job of setting people up to be successful after, and the UK system does a good job as well. But, you know, in other countries, and particularly some of the the certifications are online or, you know, a weekend workshop where um, you don't really get any training on the practical side of now you have this information, what do you do with it? How do you actually go and speak to clinicians and physicians and how do you get referral systems set in place? And we also talk about, you know, a lot of the, the, the groundwork that's involved in getting that, that type of system up off the ground, which is uh, really important in that initial period you know the first few months and years can be can be pretty grueling in terms of the 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 work it takes to break down those barriers and develop lines of communication between uh physicians and yourself but it it's so rewarding and you know myself and anna and most people in this field will will say that's one of the most critical parts of this is just having the resilience to stick that period out because sooner or later it will come to fruition but anyway, I'll just kind of let you um listen to Myself and Anna's chat, I think it was a really great talk and um, the two of us, you could you could put us in a room, we'd yap all day, so it was a great talk, can't thank Anna enough for her time. Go check her out at canrehab.co.uk or on our Twitter at CanRehab. Enjoy the show. Well, let's start there and talk about um, your background in immunology and how you kind of made the transition and what was the, what was the big, or was there anything that caused your transition to go into exercise oncology?
0: So my background is actually pretty interesting because it really goes back to when I was at school and I was determined to do medicine and become a doctor. And when I didn't get the grades, I was devastated and just thought, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And I was actually thought I'll do what my brother does. He doesn't sell biology, so I'll do cell biology as well. And when I was actually uh, traveling across America by Greyhound bus, as you did in the summer times, <laughs> I went to Berkeley University and found this exciting new subject called immunology. And this is way in the dark ages of the 1970s, <laughs> where you didn't know even what a T-cell or a B-cell was. It was just starting to develop. And I thought, wow, this is so fascinating. So I ended up switching careers and doing my degree in immunology. And at the end of that degree, I um, most of my friends went straight into doing PhDs and I just decided, no, I want to get more experience. So I fortunately went to La Jolla in San Diego and worked in clinic, which was a dream come true, 21 year old Glasgow girl, suddenly in Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> dream come true, had a fantastic two years and learned a huge amount. Uh, practical and hands-on, making monoclonal antibodies, very great lab stuff, came back and got offered a PhD in London, University College London, looking at these exciting new T-cells and what they could be doing to develop your immune system. But a long story short, after California, London was not for me. I did a year of it and just felt, no, this city, I don't like it, and I ended up transferring to St Andrews, the golfing centre of the world in Scotland and did my PhD in biochemistry there, again to do with monoclonal antibodies and cardiovascular disease, so had a great time doing that. And then um, I decided that the biotech industry looked fascinating, so this is the 90s and it was a boom of biotech, so I did a couple of postdocs in Scotland and then went over to Holland and help them make a transgenic bull called Herman. So, this was a totally <laughs> different I told you my background is different. You've lost um, me.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, Herman the bull was transgenic in that we made Herman by putting human genes into the fertilized egg and making a, a embryo bull, which then would produce human proteins in the milk. So I did that for a couple of years and then realized that my days of working in the lab were definitely over. (laughs) I didn't really want to or enjoy doing the very practical hand-to-hand stuff. And with my experience of working in Holland, the company who made Dolly the Sheep asked me if I'd come and work for them. So Dolly the Sheep, the first clone sheep that everybody knows of, uh, my job was to travel around the world telling them about the technology and telling them why they should invest in it and about the various projects we could do. And I did that for a couple of years. And the reason I'm telling you about my background is, I strongly believe my experience of working in the pharmaceutical biotech industry has made me a pracademic. Because when they did something, they did it, let's do it, let's get out there, let's try it, let's refine it. And that kind of stayed with me when I moved on. And what happened was, In the year 2000, when I was still working at PPL, the biotech company, a friend of mine said, look, you know, you're interested in exercise, you like to keep active, why don't you do a master's because I'm a nurse and I'm telling all my chemotherapy patients to stay in bed, don't move and rest, is that the right thing to do? Maybe that's a project you could look at. And that's got me, that year 2000 got me down the track from there of saying, okay, let's look and see if being active has a detrimental effect on you during chemo. Nearly 18 years ago, that that was the start of it. So that's basically how I got into this field of cancer and exercise.
1: So uh, you come back and you start doing your master's in um, exercise and chemotherapy. So yep. what did you found what did you find and, and what did that propel you towards after that?
0: So that was, you know, as I say, way back and we did a little pilot study where we looked to see what happens if you exercise during chemo. Now one of the things I should add is that I as well as you know doing my masters, I did my fitness instructor qualifications. So I became a personal trainer and I did what we have in the UK is this level four kind of clinical exercise specialist qualification, which is unique to the UK because it's very standardized. So at that stage, we had one for cardiac. So I trained to be a cardiac rehab fitness instructor. So when I did this program with these women on chemo, I thought I'm going to try out the circuit that I use with my cardiac patients and see if that's the type of thing that they could do. And what we found was the main thing, as you know, back in the early Naughties. people were just looking at does exercise impact on quality of life and fatigue, and that was the two things we looked at. And lo and behold, this very pragmatic programme, so it wasn't in a gym, it wasn't an efficacy, it was women coming to a fitness centre, being in a circuit with other women, and it was basically, uh, you know, trying out that type of aspect, very pragmatic, and we found that they did have benefits. But what we did from that little study is managed to get funding from a big cancer charity in the UK called Cancer Research UK to actually do the large trial. And again, this was the first which was pragmatic, so it was basically community-based, and it also was one of the first ones to incorporate a behaviour change intervention. And what we did was we asked the women to come to a circuit class in their local leisure centre, some in the morning, some in the afternoon, some in the evening, we would do the circuit class, standardised like a cardiac rehab, but then afterwards we'd sit down with a cup of tea and we'd look at various aspects of behaviour change, barriers, goal setting, what's in it for them, who's going to support them. And each week we had a different topic and we all just kind of pooled together and got the benefits. But one of the things that, and this is from the kind of practical point of view that I learned was When I actually did the the pilot study on which this grant was awarded, I found that the nurses were not referring all the patients to me. The only people I had coming on chemo were young women who were very fit prior to diagnosis and who the nurses thought could cope with it. So when we did the large trial, I actually used some of the money on the research to pay for dedicated clinical recruiters And I wrote a paper on that back in 2005, that if you're doing these kind of pragmatic programmes, one of the main things you have to have are dedicated clinical recruiters whose job is to ensure that every single person is told about the programme. And if they are interested, then you you transfer them. So that's where in, in Glasgow at that time, there was about 1,000 women came through this hospital who would be be on chemo. And out of that lot, I think 500 said they would have been interested in the programme. So that is huge compared to what happens when you don't have a clinical recruiter. So that, that study set off, and basically that's where we put this out. The published was in the British Medical Journal and we had a qualitative study as well, part of it. And we followed the women up five years, which I think was, again, quite unique and still found that the women who'd be given that programme five years later in the exercise group, where those randomised exercise were still doing more activity than those who'd not been given that programme. So real, you know, long term uh, psychological, physical benefits and that that aspect of behaviour change. And the thing that frustrated me was we published it, but nothing happened. And this is where I took a major uh, risk in that I decided to leave academia and I gave myself a goal of doing three things. I had money saved and I thought, I want to try and see if we can put this into practice. So I've got enough money to keep me going for two years and the three things I want to do is one, set up the first community-based program for women with breast cancer that would be free of charge. Number two, set up a training program so that fitness instructors would not feel frightened or scared but confident to be able to provide individualized safe programs and number three to set up an exercise dvd that people could do at home for those that we found the 500 women who didn't come to the exercise classes the main thing they said was travel so that was a task that i gave myself for two years, having left university to do, and I managed to achieve all three. I managed to get charity money from a number of small charities, and set up Active ABC in Glasgow, and that was the first place in 2007 worldwide that had this very free community-based program. And then I also did a couple of DVDs for a couple of charities, and then I set up Can Rehab, which was this. Training course, and then by that time the money had run out.
1: (laughs) So uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about can rehab, but I want to backtrack a few things first and most importantly, you met Patricia Frankham this year at ACSM, and she also did a behaviour change program, and only people from the UK and Ireland are the ones to say when we do behaviour change, we sit down for a cup of tea.
0: Oh, exactly. A cup of tea means it's time to share experiences and chat. There's something about when you sit down, and it's definitely at the end of exercise, there's nothing people love more than that cup of tea. And that <laughs> cup of tea can be anything, but you have to have that group chat afterwards. Yeah. And to be honest, sometimes Kieran, it was like trying to get them back on the topic because they loved just sharing and the qualitative uh, paper that I wrote was um, basically, I wouldn't have been interested in sitting around talking about cancer, but that's the thing we ended up doing. So we found that that sharing was a very natural thing about the cup of tea.
1: I think the, the qualitative aspect is often underlooked in our field because you know, we measure outcomes like quality of life and, and you know things like that but they don't capture what you've just said in that social support and group dynamics is very hard to capture without qualitative research and actually getting the experiences and as you said a lot of the times it's not the shared experience is not we're all sitting around talking about cancer it's like it's in the background it's this underlying thing but for the most part it's just getting out of house and having a chat with people with similar experiences and similar level of fitness and age and all that stuff that it's just it's taking the pressure off it and taking the focus off it helps
0: Absolutely. And as you say, it's very hard to capture, even in quality of life questionnaires, where they have the social aspect. But that's five or six questions, whereas the, the richness of the reasons of why, you know, exercise helps in a group setting is so, so strong. And another person, Julie mitgard she does some excellent qualitative work, particularly with men with prostate cancer, and even their wives and their families and how exercise has actually benefited them. I agree. that I don't, don't think we give it enough strength and merit that it should have for why this is so important.
1: You also touched on one thing that I actually struggle with quite a bit and why I I look up to the likes of of uh, Katie Schmitz and Kristen Campbell and Kerry Cornier. All those people have led the way for so long and this field is brutal in terms of the patience you have to have to design a study go through with the intervention publish the results four five six years later and for the most part their little small circle goes yeah cool and even now it's at the point where it's uh, all the hard work is summarized in a couple of tweets on Twitter and then we all go out the rest of our day and you have to look up to the people like that who've led our field for so long and the patience and resilience that they've had to have and what I've struggled with is is having the impact and, and the, the, the kind of more wide ranging impact, and how can I affect the most people? And what they're doing now is going to pay off years down the line because it's setting the foundation for evidence based uh, courses like Can Rehab. But at the same time, me, I'm so impatient that I'm like, I just want to help more people. And I don't want to just do this small pilot trial of 30 people and, and publish that in five years. I want to be out there. And, and that's where what you're talking about in 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 moving away from that, or at least straddling the line between industry and academia is really appealing to me because it gives you the ability to do both. And that's another thing I kind of look up to you a lot with Can Rehab because... When we're doing this, we get so myopic in in our own research interests. And when I got into it, I was like, I want to do exercise and cancer. And then my master's was kind of training breast, and then my PhD was prostate. And now it's it's this specific type of prostate and this specific type of treatment. And it gets so you know going down a yeah. rabbit hole. And for you to be able to come back and look at the whole scope of the field and be able to synthesize that literature. Not to mention update it regularly, which I'm sure is a mountain of work for you to do, is, is a testament to how passionate you are about this field and making an impact.
0: I think, um, as you say, Lee, for me, and this is where if you want to get the best, it's like marketing, who do you market this to? And we've got to watch, we're not in a little circle, we're all telling each other how great exercise is. But the main guys who really need to know this are the oncologists, the surgeons, the radiographers to convince them that this is something that is part of treatment, you know, that it should be. And that's where the research that you guys do and people like Lee Jones are almost treating it like a drug and showing, look, look at this efficacy, look at how much this is almost like some of the drugs that you give and the benefits is critical. And that's where I find that when I go and give that kind of talk as you know how effective and what kind of dose and what safety is involved and what's happening in vitro, because of my background, I can do both. Then the oncologists and the surgeons will say, Wow, now we get it, now we see why this might be important. And what they say to me, and this is where, okay, if you can give me a referral pathway. I will refer every single patient and that's where sometimes I say to them if I've got something set up I'm going to give you a challenge every single person that comes through your clinic for the next month I want you to refer them to this program and they say yeah let's do it so it's almost like yeah we need both sides but we maybe need to be a bit more gutty and challenging with the oncologists and saying okay you get it you see this is beneficial how can we make this as easy as possible that every person coming through your programme can get to something? And obviously what you need, Kieran, is you need that programme ready. No use them referring refer, there's nothing there. And that's where Can Rehab and the Move More programmes and Live Strong. And again, I'm sure there's a similar thing like MedEx in Australia. Getting those things really set, tight, organised, to a level where the, the health professional trusts that their patients will be in good hands is the other side of that, that balance.
1: It's funny, I only had that conversation the other day and in, in, uh, we're all getting really excited and saying that standard of care, standard of care, standard of care and if globally everyone said okay cool standard of care we'd kind of go well we're not ready for that, we don't have the resources, we don't have the trained individuals, we don't have the streamlined pathways um, and unless you are a can rehab, or unless you're a Kristen Campbell or Claudia, ba- if whoever it is, unless you have that track record in that city and you have the collaboration set up, it's very hard to yeah. start that. As Joe Blogs, who's just completed can rehab, now I'm I'm going to go to you know Leicester Hospital and start talking to oncologists. Like that groundwork is a is a, a mountain of work to complete to actually get it going.
0: It is, and it's, um, you know, in some ways, you can kind of look at whichever country you're in, and again, if you've already, cardiac rehab, and I've published a couple of papers with Jill Hubbard about where we put people with colorectal straight into a cardiac rehab program in the community, and that's worked out really well. So, in some ways, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, but if there is nothing like that in your place, or you specifically want to have the the closed cancer, Classes, which I do think particularly during treatment are necessary, then there is a lot of work, a lot of work to get that in place from convincing the oncologists, because if you've not got a name in this area, how do you even get your foot in the door? To, as you say, what's out there in the community and whose hands are you going to let these patients uh, go into? Um, if you don't have fitness instructors or get any cancer awareness, then that wouldn't be a good thing. Uh, But again, physios in some countries like Denmark, I gave a talk just about three months ago to 200 oncology physios in Denmark, which is the size of Scotland. So there's a brilliant, qualified group of health professionals. They knew everything about one rep max, VO2 max, exercise prescription, as well as functional tests. So that's a a brilliant example where um, that could work. But in other countries, like in America or in Australia, maybe the excise physiologists have to be geared up to that level. And as you say, in another country. So yeah, it's going to vary from place to place. And it's not going to be one size or one standard fits everywhere worldwide. But really, we need to start thinking about that and evaluating it. And that's one of my big things is don't just say we're doing it. Evaluate what's really happening with any of these programs, is it working? Yes or no?
1: Yeah, and it's it's interesting again, as you say, going from country to country because EPs. I've I've been in Australia the guts of six months now, and they are so, so highly valued. You know, Ireland is largely unregulated. There's there's not a lot of um uh, structure in terms of to be a personal trainer. You've got to have X amount of. You got to have a degree or whatever america is fairly standardized for acsm but again eps Mm -hmm. aside from cardiac rehab aren't really recognized but then there's so many differences and who is the most qualified is it a physio who you give ex-phys training to or is it an ep who you kind of because the the ep going more physio is is dangerous in terms of the scope of practice as well because inherently so much so much of what we do is is identifying impairments, and um, you know a lot of the trials we have an EP on staff, who, or sorry, a physio on staff who who prescribes exercise in that manner. But that line is 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 blurry, and it's uh, it's not a hard cut one. So where do you, where's the cut off between you know an EP and a physio, and 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 what that is, and ultimately it's a, a collaboration between the two, I suppose.
0: Absolutely, and it's almost. Um... Uh, you could, yeah. I think it's physio's functional aspects. They should really be addressing that part. Exercise physiologists, and again, I even have, as you know, we've got lots of fitness instructors worldwide who are out there in gyms, community settings, etc., who could have some awareness and communication. So I believe it's almost like a triage, of pyramid, in that you probably have maybe 60, 70 percent, and this is just me. Imagining, I don't think I could tell you exact numbers, finished treatment, they've got no major comorbidities, they want to get back to the local Les Mills, spinning class, body pump, they could go straight to a fitness instructor. Uh, there may be some who are just have some issues, maybe a risk of cardiotoxicity, lymphedema, and um, other comorbidities that either could be addressed by the exercise physiologist or the, the physiotherapist and again that needs to be carved out who does what. But as you know, my main thing is that there are a lot of people I've seen you know throughout the years who really even come to cancer exercise class for two weeks and say, right, that's enough. You've given me the confidence, I'm back to doing what I used to do. Uh, so that that's so there's a lot of them. And that's where can we have as a training course we have decided We're almost saying we need to have different courses for different groups so that as somebody goes through the various stages of their cancer journey, they may need somebody who's going to give them real hands-on, one-to-one experience about what they can and can't do to make sure they don't increase the risk of cardiotoxicity, right down to somebody who is just the Les Mills spin class teacher. So she's aware that if somebody says they got cancer, she doesn't panic.
1: I think that's a really valuable way of doing it because as you said um, th- there's very few people who, who it's growing now but the the amount of people who are saying exercise oncology I want to specialize and all I want to do is work with uh, individuals with cancer is is a lot lower than the broader population of personal trainers and, and uh, EPs so and more often than not even the individuals of cancer are gonna walk into a gym and just go Joe, Schmo, whatever personal trainer, they don't seek out. So you're kind of a multi-pronged attack of, of, okay, if you're a personal trainer working in a local gym, here's the general information you need to know. Basic information about different treatments, side effects, and different types of cancers. Whereas if you're going more specific into this area, we'll get more detailed. Versus nurses and health professionals here's what you need to know for evidence-based clinical perspective, here's how it can be valuable to your work. Um, I'm sure that was not an easy decision to make because you've just tripled your work in terms of education you (laughs) offer.
0: You know, um, Les Mills, they're based in New Zealand. I mean, they um, and a couple of the, the public gyms are in the UK, they've actually, a lot of people have emailed me and said, look, I've got a person that came into my class and she said she'd had breast cancer. What do I do? And that's where I thought, you know, they just need to have a bit more comfort uh, about communicating with somebody with cancer and just very, very basic guidelines about maybe if somebody is, says they're on treatment, you maybe have to refer back to a more qualified professional to ensure that they're all right. So that's where it's, it's gonna be just very easy messages and it's more communication and very basic guidelines. But there is a need for people who are out there in the community so that if we go to a class, a spa, a gym, and they say, oh, by the way, I have breast cancer, we don't get told, oh my God, I'm sorry, I don't know if you can come to this class. Yeah. Does that, what does that do to your change if that happens?
1: Yeah, and you know, it, even if you look at this survivorship perspective, so a breast cancer survivor who's 60 and had breast cancer when they were 32 they're exactly. they're probably you know they've gone through all that they've come out the other side for all intents and purposes they probably don't think of themselves that oh, i'm a survivor so when i think we all it, it hit me this uh, year at hsm when amy kirkham was giving her cardiotoxicity talks someone was saying um you know what happens when they have serious cardiac events and i can't remember the guy i was presenting with her he was kind of saying well then they become a cardiac rehab patient and i was i was kind of sitting there going we get so focused on the cancer aspect that if you give someone a general medical history they might t- take yep. cancer they might take osteoporosis they might take diabetes like to a personal trainer that's just another box that they've checked whereas yes, you know exactly. you can go down that rabbit hole if you want to but again it comes back to who needs what type of information?
0: Yep. And that, that's, I think, Macmillan just did a research study. We said something like 40% of all cancer survivors have at least one or two comorbidities, like diabetes or high blood pressure or cardiac. So they are ticking a lot of boxes. And that's where these fitness instructors that I deal with, who are the clinical exercise specialists, they have usually done cardiac rehab, stroke cancer and falls prevention because they are working in a community usually where they will have people with all different comorbidities and they almost know now how to prioritise. It's not the, the, the disease, but what's the number one issue that I need to address? And usually it is if somebody's at a cardiac, it's that aspect. Get that controlled right first and then you start to look at the other ones. So these guys, are, I mean, I really admire them out in the community who are working with people with clinical conditions and manage to still make them part of a group exercise classes. It's fascinating to watch and, uh, you know, I sometimes take my hat off to them <laughs> they're doing a brilliant
1: In In your courses directed at uh, fitness professionals, do you talk about trying to develop referral pathways and, and give tips on how to identify and reach out to oncologists and nurses and maybe in terms of setting up meetings or giving seminars? or what's what's so people are graduating they're coming out from can rehab and they say i want to go tomorrow mm-hmm. what's your advice to them going you want to set this up in your community What what's your first couple of steps
0: that's a good question uh, i think in the uk we've been quite uh, lucky and i would say the similar in the states is the live strong where we've had two big charities macmillan have invested about £6 million into setting up programs throughout the UK where they have helped either with the the delivery of the the, the referral pathway. Macmillan are so well known that a lot of the people within the healthcare setting have said, right, if Macmillan are helping to put this pathway together we're all for it. So when you have the fitness instructors, a lot of times I will say to them go to your local Macmillan charity center and find out what's going on in your area and that has been a brilliant step and again in australia we have a similar thing but what i found is sometimes there's a mismatch just as you said kieran that there are all these level four fitness instructors but nobody going to their proposed classes or their advertisements as a one-to-one cancer exercise personal trainer so what i tend to do is get uh, invitations to hospitals, to the oncology settings, and try and set up a one-day workshop funded by whatever ways they can have to do a CPD with the clinical nurse specialists, potentially even a short hour or two with the oncologists and the surgeons. And then from that, at the end of that one-day course, and believe you me, a lot of times I've gone into hospitals And you can see these nurses sitting with their arms folded like what the hell are we doing here? I'm not interested in this. But at the end of the day, they are on board and say, OK, we get it. And you've obviously told, told us how to approach the person, how to ask, advise and act. So I give them very simple ways of actually approaching the physical activity question, giving them clear pathways of what's out there in the future by describing how good these level four instructors are. And then that tends to help. So these one-day CPD courses have helped a huge amount in getting that gap filled between referral within that acute setting, like a hospital, to these guys out in the community. And then the other one-day course I do is with physios. So what I'm saying is now with Can we have we've actually tailored it, we've got four different types of courses, one in the acute setting for the CNS's and oncologists, one for the physios, which can be much more applied with case studies, etc. The level four qualification for fitness instructors to become cancer exercise specialists, and then a kind of core and more is what I call it, just on cancer awareness and exercise for your basic fitness instructor. So that's that's how we've developed now that we're trying to address right from the acute setting right to as you said Jean, who's 60 who had breast cancer but loves zumba and has got no intentions of going to a cancer specific class
1: it's interesting because we go back to talking about the dose response stuff and um that stuff is going to be really important during treatment and looking at specific physiological responses to doses but again when you go back to you know the 10-15 year survivor um Absolutely, periodization matters. Absolutely, principles of exercise physiology matter. But so is just moving. And uh if someone comes to me and they hate getting on the elliptical or they hate doing a leg press, and I'm saying, but the evidence, the research says you have to do three sets by twelve. Yeah. He'll tell me to go yeah. do one. So you know, as you're mentioning Zumba, there, like part of it is just going. Listen. This may be best, but if, if you're going to enjoy Xeoma and that's what you're going to be consistent with, that's your that's your exercise. Who am I to say you can't do what you love?
0: It's that dilemma between the, the pure exercise prescription and the physiological benefits we know be there and the behavior change intervention. What's going to make this person, when I phone them up five years later, that's going to say, yep, Anna, I'm still doing my walks. I'm still doing my Tai
1: Chi. <laughs> um and going back to what you're saying in regards to setting up the workshops a lot of young uh fitness professionals i consult with i think that is one of the single most important pieces of whether it's you're setting your own practice up or you're trying to get referrals is getting the buy-in from the inside and it takes a lot of resilience to to reach out to oncologists or nurses and not get emailed back for a while, for a while, and you know at some point you'll get that in, and it it just it's a nature of of it's human nature where if you can get that person in that's bought in and they're on the inside going to bat for you, it it's a slow yeah. slow snowball. But once you kind of get over the hill and you become that trusted source of information, you that trusted yeah. professional, the referral pathway kind of naturally takes over and and it becomes more streamlined but yeah. as you said a lot of people need the confidence because if you're not from this background and you you know you don't have a thorough understand thorough understand if you're not trained in cancer going and talking to an oncologists can be very intimidating oh god so yes given even we get intimidated not we With all the background <laughs> we have so yeah. given people the confidence you said to to be able to to underscore the benefits of exercise in different cancer settings to highlight the value for the clinic or the hospital itself and then having the confidence to go to an oncologist and say you're trained in cancer i'm trained in exercise let's put our heads together and develop a program together yeah. that's yes. that's one of the biggest components of getting that program off the ground or getting your initial clients
0: yeah Absolutely. And it's, you know, I remember when I started, remember 2000 going, I didn't have a clue about cancer and you had, a you know, I remember it took a lot of guts to keep going to that place and sitting and saying, is there any for me? And they'd be like, nope, nope, too busy, can't look, nope, nope. And so I, that's when I realized this is so tough because I was a fitness instructor, stroke researcher. And that's when I realized I need somebody on the inside who I am paying to do this for me, whose job it is, and that's where having those paid backfills. So we had a surgery oncology nurse, we had a radiographer, and we had a chemo nurse, and their job was for half a day, once a week, was to go through the records and check when that person was coming in, and with the training, again, how I gave them how to approach it, just make sure everybody was asked and given me a note of, if somebody said no, why? So for example, this girl came and I said, how'd you go on? And she said, oh, and this was her first week. And she says, I didn't get anybody. They all went exercise, yuck. (laughs) And I said, you don't just, you know. So I thought, right, we need to do a bit more training with you so that you don't get that response every time. But once they get rolling, every single person, the whole 1,200 were asked. And as I say, 50% said yes. And the other 20, 30 was because they lived far away. So having somebody on the inside, and that's where when I've evaluated the programs UK-wide, which I'm now doing to write up, the ones that have got somebody in the hospital whose job is to tell everybody that's where you get the brilliant referrals to the program. And actually in Denmark, they have it where exercise is a treatment. So everybody, every single person going through Copenhagen on chemo, it's not a rehab, it's not a little sideline, exercise is a treatment and they've got an automatic referral pathway. So that's my dream. <laughs> it's
1: um and it's fascinating. I mean, if you go to any of the, the leaders at ACSM or whatever conference it is, if you go and visit their their labs, they I mean even us at ECU, we've got six or seven hospitals that we collaborate, all are equipped with gyms and all have these streamlined referral processes. But that's been Seventeen years in the making and a lot of people get really excited when they go to ECU or they go to you know, I can't imagine what Katie Schmidt set up was like. And that is so many years. That's the culmination of all these years of hard work when a lot of these times it starts out in a small room. So when yeah. you go away and get excited, you've got to almost humble yourself and go I I was talking to uh Tori's been on the podcast a few times. She's setting up a, a cancer programme in Ohio. She's doing incredible stuff and she's recently presented to uh, the, the board and they're really on board with trying to maybe transition her in. And I was like, take a closet, whatever they can give yeah. you, get yourself yeah. in there. And she's like, yeah, yeah. well, I'm, I'm down the road. I was like, forget it. If they give you a treadmill and half a leg press, take it because that's it. that's where the start is, you know? Yeah. Um, and Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's just, it's such an exciting part. Again, you've got... Uh, the scandinavian countries really seem to be leading the way in their perspective on this um yeah denmark in particular and germany too was doing a great job um and we're all trying to push the boundaries but that's what's so exciting about being a part of this in um you know when i was going into going through i was kind of doing sports science and i was like i'm going to be a very um small fish in a big pond all looking at different ways to maximize that half a half a percent in elite athletes Um, and it's a really cool gig and I admire people in that field but for me the the first time I worked with you know individual cancer and seeing the the magnitude of change and how impactful that is that's like it's life changing you know
0: it is and you know what I am so humbled to have had the opportunity to work with people over the last 20 years and there are certain people who stick in my mind two or three young people who've died who I got very close to and I am so humbled. But one interesting thing was I remember I did a walk. Uh, it was a sponsored walk and I got about 80 of the women who had been in my chemo exercise class and we all had pink balloons called AMA's Amazons. So we all called <laughs> Amazonian women used to cut a breast off so that they could use the bow and arrow better. So there was that symbolism. So we had a great walk around, and then through the tannoy at the end, and this was just giving me goosebumps. He said, "This is a message for Anna Campbell. Thanks for giving us our life back." that's
1: brilliant. Yeah. A
0: little exercise class, but that's that's what it meant to them. Unbelievable.
1: A lot of people have been reaching out to me looking for looking for evidence based information on on you know doing this stuff, and a lot of times I go check out Can Rehab. So fitness professionals are looking to take this course. What can they expect out of the course, Um, education, experience, and how long it takes, all that stuff?
0: Well, I mean, it's interesting because just when you were saying about what's out there, I don't know if you're aware that it's because it's such a new field, there are very few validated, kind of approved courses out there, which is a bit of a concern for me because there is a market for training in physios, exercise physios, fitness instructors. People want to know, but sometimes people can latch onto that and provide something which, when I look at what they're providing, either is you know evidence from way back, so it's not new, or it's parts where I think is that really what we should be telling them? So I'm very concerned. Well, I mean, and I'm talking about internationally, that we should try and get together to have some kind of awarding qualification whether it is in the exercise physio, whether it's with the, um, the physiotherapists or is with um, fitness instructors. And I think Katie, like me, shares that concern that well, what can we do to kind of, and Nicole Stout as well, we're all kind of thinking about what can we do to get an awarding body? Because if you're a doctor, you don't just go on any online course and say, right, I have now become a doctor. I think we need to try and get that, that up and running. So Can have developed and the, the course that is the, the level four course, which is a face to face five day course. So it really is five days of learning about cancer and exercise from the very basics. What is cancer? What causes it? What are the side effects? How do we uh, treat it? What's the evidence for each of these different aspects? We go through it in lots of different ways. They have a lot of uh, case studies to look at. We do practical work at looking at various things, assessments, exercises, we have the circuit set out. We have 20 different types of cancer patients from an old man who's in his 80s, who's had his knees replaced and has a stoma, to a young woman who's actually been told she's got to lose weight before she can have her, her exercise class. Huge range and we go through all of them very particularly. And at the end of the day, then they have to do X amount of hours in an oncology setting with an exercise program that I can refer them to, they then have to do a exam, short answer question exams, which a lot of them find very hard, very practical examples of a guy has been told, he's told he's in hormone treatment, what does that mean, what are the side effects and how is your exercise prescription going to address those side effects. So, they have that and they get marks of each one, and they have to get 70% to pass. So, it's a high pass rate. So, they also have to do a 3,000 word case study, and then they also have a practical exam where all the case studies that they've learned over the four or five days, I randomly pick two, and they've got to give me an upper body muscular strength and endurance, lower body muscular strength and endurance, cardiovascular exercise, and a stretching exercise. It's particularly for that person at that stage of the treatment and their comorbidities. And at the end of that, they get the can rehab level four certificate. It's hard to pass, you know, a lot I would say you get maybe fifty percent failure first yeah. time and then go away because it's not easy, but it's my baby and I want to make sure <laughs> that, you know people with a can rehab certificate are trustworthy.
1: That's it. I mean at the end of the day it comes back that anyone with that can rehab certification is a reflection of you and you want to make sure that they're at a high standard and you're certainly doing that um with it being a five day so it's a five-day intensive so pretty much they've got to commit to boxing off a week of their schedule
0: yeah we find that two weekends usually works best so for a lot of people we don't and to be honest the first couple of days when these instructors are learning about cancer and treatments, they are absolutely overwhelmed with it. So they really need to go away and they get some formative assessments and work to do. Uh, they all get a cancer each they've got to go and find out about and pre- present it to everybody when they come back for the second week. So ideally, it is there's a break of about two to three weeks before they come back again. And then the fifth day is the final day where they get their exams and their assessments and there's a little bit of... Um, you know, rechecking things then as well.
1: That's brilliant. But they do
0: block off those days, and to be honest, we've never had anybody complain about that.
1: Yeah. And it it does require, if you're going into this field, I mean, it's a commitment, you know what I mean? It's a commitment to get into the field, so you've got to commit to to getting the appropriate certification. I think you you hit the nail on the head there with, because it's a new field, uh, a lot of people got in early, without the appropriate background and and perspective on on the field and particularly with maintaining what how the evidence is going and without accreditation people if i'm again joe blocks who's just a personal trainer i can't tell the difference between can rehab and x training uh, center for cancer people you know what i mean it's It's yes. very hard to discern, so we need to find a way to accredit the bodies that deserve it and if people are willing to raise their standards to meet that, you get accredited. but if you don't unfortunately, you know it's it's we we can't lower our standards for people going into this field, given how important it is to understand these yes. treatment and side side effects uh,
0: you got it so right, and as you see at the beginning, you know there wasn't anything, but now I think we're at a stage where we do have to see. If you want to provide, if you want to be a provider of training, there is certain criteria. And again, it's almost like I think with my experience and maybe with what's going on in the States and Australia, a bunch of us should be able to get together and have an international standard. Mm. Uh, That's what I would like to see rather than, you know, oh, well, if you're in Spain, it's this. But if you're in Germany, it's that. You know, let's try and see what, what we would like. And because and, the other thing, of course, Kieran, is that now with online courses, it's getting even messier Yeah. in that, you know, anybody can say, I will provide you with an online course and you can get a certificate after paying your money. But what actually have you learned that is going to make sure you're providing safe and effective programs? So, as you say, a personal trainer can just Google cancer exercise online and, you know, I don't know I've never tried that to see what comes up, but i I should see what comes up actually, and I'm sure there may be ones out there that you think where's your evidence, where's your you know experience in working and looking at where we are now compared to where we are ten or fifteen years ago
1: um but look, I think you're doing one of the best jobs of of maintaining those high standards and uh you know I, I take a lot of inspiration of what you're doing it's, it's incredible to. I don't know how you sleep, to be honest with with maintaining Can Rehab and your research. Um, so, what's what's big, new, exciting for Can Rehab moving forward? What are you What are you really trying to you know move into with this?
0: Yeah. So the online is the area that we've decided we need to be a player in that field. And what we're aiming to do is we have now developed a platform. So it's a bit like academically, you have things like I think it's. Uh, Moodle is the one that we use in the UK. So we're doing, can we have, we've invested a lot of money on a similar platform where you will now be able to do online courses very similar to the type you would do as a degree or a master's. So you will have access to videos, webinars, we'll have, you know, kind of live parts, but really trying to make it as academic but as applied as possible. Um, so we're trying to do that for. various types of health professionals and fitness instructors so that's what we're going to do we still i love nothing better than being face to face and doing so you can see reactions of people's puzzled so we're going to try as much as possible to make sure that we keep that up but it has to be kind of in an online course for people who maybe are in other countries like spain we get colleagues in spain who say you know it'd be really good if we could try and up our qualifications a bit so that, that's the future plan that we're going to try and do
1: brilliant um, so people who are looking to keep up with you in Rehab, where can they find you where can they get involved
0: so the, the website's probably the best place which is www.canrehab c-a-n-r-e-h-a-b co dot u-k uh, follow me on twitter at CanRehab and the facebook as well I tend to kind of put different things in different sites. I'm not as consistent. So uh, it's quite good to just see what's coming up and yeah, watch your space as far as some of the online courses. And as I say, I'm trying to do this new one is Core and More, and it's based on a very successful training of volunteers that uh, Millen, the cancer charity, have done to help volunteers work with people with cancer, and it's worked really well. So I'm going to try and do that for people that maybe in a spa or in a gym just so they get better communication skills, really working with MD with cancer?
1: If if you're in the UK or Ireland, I I cannot recommend this course enough. Um, Anna does an incredible job of straddling the line of of research and and keeping her applied hat on and making sure it's true to going out into the industry, going out into the trenches and, and really making sure it's practical. So if you're interested in this, check out Can Rehab. There's a, a, a bunch of different certifications we talked about based on if you're a, a fitness professional or a health professional. And uh, I can't wait to see where this goes. And I'm sure we'll be we'll be chatting again in the future.
0: Thank you very much, Keaton. Lovely chatting to you.